Amen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks, Jason. Good morning. How are we doing? Good and excellent. All right. You know you can tell me the truth, right? It's okay. If you're not doing good, it's, we'll work through it together. Either way, I'm glad to see you. Glad you're here. Uh, those joining online, we're, we're glad to have you as well. We're going to be in uh, John chapter 20, as uh, Ken just read. We are at the point in the gospel of John where pretty much all we have left are going to be resurrection appearances. And, uh, and so what we're going to see today, I think for a lot of us, uh, maybe even like a, a significant missing piece of the puzzle uh, to understand fully the connection between resurrection and then being sent on mission in our lives. We know from like a narrative standpoint, that's basically where we are in the story of Jesus and the church. Resurrection has happened. And at these resurrection appearances, Jesus is commissioning his followers to go out and live their lives on mission. It's something we talk about often here. But I think for a lot of us, there's, there's, a, there's something missing there, a, a connection that's missing, uh, maybe even between the resurrection in our everyday lives and the resurrection and this idea of being sent. And so my hope for us today is that you would, you, if that is you, if that's so, something you're struggling with to see this connection, that today that would be answered for you through the scriptures. And really what's going to happen today is the bridge between the two has everything to do with relationship. And one of the things that I think we've, we've gotten pretty good at in church is having a correct theological view of who God is, but what's missing for a lot of us is a correct emotional and relational view of who God is. And so we're going to get into all that today through just these few verses here in John 20, resurrection. So what has happened so far? Uh, last week we looked at how Mary Magdalene, Magdalene came to the tomb. She finds the tomb empty. And so she was already in a, just um, overwhelmed in grief. And that grief um, got added to, didn't it? Like anger, like somebody stole the body of Jesus. Uh, matter of fact, when she sees Jesus, her first response is not a warm hug. She thinks he's the gardener who stole Jesus. She's like, you tell me where you put him. And so we saw Jesus um, appearing first to Mary Magdalene. Now, now, Peter and John make it to the tomb. They see it's empty and John believes in the resurrection, but he hasn't encountered Jesus yet. And that's about to happen. One of the things that's, that's super helpful if you're reading along through the gospel of John on your own is the, um, at the resurrection, the gospel of John and the, and the gospel of Luke make great companions. One will emphasize something that the other does not and one will include a detail, but you put them together and it's super helpful. We're actually gonna do that some today. And so Luke 24 combined with John 20, I think is a really, really helpful way to understand fully the resurrection of Jesus um, and the impact that that has had on the world. And so we're gonna start in uh, verse 19. If you have your Bibles and wanna follow along, feel free to do that, grab, grab your Bible. We'll also have these on the screen. Uh, so we'll begin in verse 19. So on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked were where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So this is the first resurrection appearance to the disciples as a whole. And we'll see next week, there's still one disciple missing. What has happened between Jesus's um, resurrection appearance to Mary Magdalene um, and now this appearance here in what seems to be the upper room, is there's also this road to Emmaus appearance scene that Luke captures. 
where there are two disciples walking on a road to Emmaus, which is about seven miles away from Jerusalem. And Jesus appears to the two and they don't even recognize him. And it's not until later on that he opens the scriptures with them that they recognize him as the risen Lord. And so that has happened. And now we're to this upper room account where Jesus is going to reveal himself to almost all of the disciples. And one of the things I wanna do is I'm gonna pull a few verses from Luke 24. So you can flip with me or you can just stay where you're at and I'll read these and we'll put these on the screen. So this is some added detail about what we just read. This is Luke 24, 36, says this, as they were talking about these things. So who's they? The disciples talking about what? Peter and John are there like, hey, we saw the tomb, it was empty. Mary Magdalene saw Jesus, thought he was a gardener. Two of the disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus and they actually saw him as well. So these are the things they were talking about. So as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace to you. So there's, right, same story. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. So we're gonna stop there. From John's account, he tells us that they're scared, right? They're fear of the Jews. They're really scared that what happened to Jesus is gonna happen to them. So therefore the doors are locked. It's important detail. So they're locked in privacy, safety. But that wasn't all that they were afraid of. Luke's gonna say, yeah, and when they saw Jesus, it didn't automatically go away. They were scared of him too. Verse 38 of Luke 24 says, and he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do, you, why do doubts rise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet that it is myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So there's a little more detail. Now, I wanted to read both accounts with you because it's helpful to understand that the fear that they were experiencing for the Jews, it was still there when they first saw Jesus. What does that tell us? Tell us they weren't expecting to see him. It also lets us know that what is happening here in the upper room is not a ghost or an apparition, right? So the door was locked. Somehow Jesus comes through. We might be tempted to go, oh, it was just this mirage of Jesus. But Jesus shows up and is like, no, this is flesh and bones. Touch me. Look right here. Remember these hands? Remember the blood? Remember these feet? Like, look at me. Look at my side. Physically, Jesus appears and stands among them. And that's what's happening here in John chapter 20. Now, I love, so it's kind of going to be part one, part two today. So part one is what we've just read. So we're going to pull some things out about part one that tell us um, about Jesus and, and help us understand like the fullness of the resurrection. Okay, so, so far we understand the resurrection fulfills Old Testament prophecies. That's really important, right? So that's important. We have a historical theological reason why the resurrection is essential and necessary. Okay, we also have Jesus himself early on in ministry telling his disciples, hey, they're gonna kill me. They're gonna tear this temple down, but in three days, I'm gonna raise it back up. So Jesus himself is making claims that he is gonna be put to death and then he's gonna come back to life in three days. So it's really important if we're, gonna get, if we're gonna give Jesus the credit he's due that he fulfills what he said, right? But today what we're gonna see is this relational component that's really important to understand as well. The first thing that I see here is how Jesus steps right past their man-made obstacle. They locked the doors to keep danger out, okay? We've got a physically resurrected savior who very easily could have come up and just... You know, 
Hey guys, it's me, let me in. But he doesn't. He steps right past that man-made obstacle or barrier to stand in their midst. I want to think about that. You think about relationships, okay? Every one of us has a set of man-made obstacles that keep people out of your life. It may be physical barriers like a privacy fence and a locked door and a security system and all the sorts of things that you do to physically keep yourself protected, safe, right? To keep danger out. But on an emotional level, right, we have all these invisible barriers, these protective mechanisms, things that we've developed from even childhood, from every time we were hurt, every time we were sad, every time we were left out and lonely, every time something happened to us, that we weren't able to process in a safe place, the only thing we had, the only option we had was to protect ourselves, right? So we put up these invisible barriers. You won't hurt me again because I won't let you get that close to me. So think about these guys. They are scared. They're f- fearful. Something's gonna happen to them. We, we saw in the Gospel of Luke, we get more detail. They're, they're kind of sad and in turmoil. Jesus is dead. They're not walking in the hope of the resurrection. Right? They're, they're walking in the doubt of their savior is dead. And so they're already beginning to put these barriers around not just their physical bodies, but even around their own hearts to the point where they don't recognize in excitement Jesus at first. He's got to prove himself to them. So Jesus comes, steps right past their man-made barrier, and he stands among them. I love this detail. Jesus doesn't take his place um, up in front of the room with a lectern in front of himself to begin teaching the disciples and giving them their instructions. He just comes and stands among them as one of them. Like, are you picturing that? He doesn't come into the room and take charge of the room and say, you guys sit down and listen, I've got some instructions for you. No, as they were talking, he just comes and stands among them. This is what he does with the two disciples going to Emmaus. He just kind of came alongside them and started walking with them, started talking with them. And why, why is that important? Like, I love that about Jesus, that he comes and he stands in our midst among us, in the middle of the things going on, in the middle of even fear and turmoil, Jesus comes and stands with the disciples. And then he makes this statement about peace. Both John and Luke both record this statement. Luke says, peace be with you. In the gospel of John, he says, peace be with you. And what we have to understand is this is, this is not really a command, it's, it's an invitation. Okay, so this isn't an imperative command where he's saying, guys, have peace. Come on, get it together. Have peace already, I'm here. No, he's inviting them into peace that's found where? in his presence. Like, what do you think about that? Like, where do you go for peace? Now, the absence of chaos and turmoil is not automatically peace. So maybe you've got some great barriers around your heart and your life, and you fooled yourself into thinking you've got peace because of all the locked doors around your heart and around your life, okay? That's not really peace. Peace is something we can have even with the doors unlocked, as we're gonna talk about this morning. Peace is something you can have even when the world is in turmoil around you. But what Jesus is inviting them into is a peace that is found solely in his presence. And I think for so many of us, and I'm not talking to everybody in the room, but the people I'm talking to need to hear this. 
we need to have permission to have peace. Like I think for some of us, Jesus is like giving you permission to have peace because you've been convinced that if there isn't turmoil, you're not earning your keep. If, the life, if life is not hectic and busy and chaotic, then you must not be a good person. And so you won't even give yourself permission to have peace, to be at rest. And I was talking with um, a, a gentleman in a, about two weeks ago, and he was saying at, a, at an early age, he and his wife got to a place financial where it kind of, they were caught off guard by how successful their business was. And, uh, and so he's like, man, we just sold our business and now we don't have to do anything. You're like, wow, 41 years old. Like, that's pretty cool. Like, who doesn't want to sign up for that? Like, done making money? Like, you've got enough to make? Like, yeah, we've, yeah. And he said, you know what the funny thing is? Like, I'm experiencing more stress right now than when I was running the company. He was really stressed because he, he, he wasn't at rest. He said, I feel like I, like, like I gotta be doing something. I feel guilty. I feel like I'm not, not earning my, my way through the world. I'm not making God happy and I just have all this lack of peace. And we were talking about that. I was like, you know, sometimes when we think about obedience, we often think about action, right? If you're gonna obey, you're gonna go do. And sometimes obey means what? Resting, like sitting in peace. And so what Jesus is doing here is not this arbitrary command Get it together and have peace already. What Jesus is doing is he's inviting them. He's giving them permission. Guys, you can, you can be at peace. You can have peace. You're not impressing the Father by staying in all this grief and turmoil and like continuing to stew up all this emotion. You have permission to be at peace, to rest, unlock the doors. And I just wonder if there's a few of us here today that needed to hear that piece of it as well. Sometimes I think we, we don't hear the invitation of Jesus to have peace. So I want you to think about that for a minute. Jesus is actually going to have to say it twice, at least twice here. So I'm wondering, why did, why did you do that? Well, I think because he was looking into the eyes and the hearts of the disciples, and maybe a few of them were like, okay, I can ha- it's okay to be at peace? And there was evidently at least one in the room who wasn't there yet, so he has to say it again. I think about for our lives why we don't have peace. Some of us struggle to hear the invitation. It's almost like we're the disciples in the upper room not expecting Jesus to show up in life, right? And we're the disciples in the room not expecting him to speak. So when Jesus speaks to us, we don't hear it. We're not expecting him to speak to us, right? So we miss the invitation. Like, when did, well, when did Jesus invite me into peace? When did Jesus give me permission to have rest? When did, when did God say, hey, obey me by doing nothing? Just be, just exist in my presence. And I think for some of us, we aren't expecting Jesus to show up and to speak a lot like these disciples. But one of the things I wanna make sure you understand about your life is the same thing we're seeing here is that one of the reasons we don't have peace is that we're not expecting Jesus to to show up, to step through your barriers and just to show up. Like if he showed up, you'd be like, how did you get here? The doors are locked. Right, we're not expecting Jesus to show up in our turmoil and in our fear. So why in the world would we be listening for the voice of the one who says, hey, come have peace. So I love this about Jesus as he steps into this upper room. He's stepping into their turmoil and their fear and their brokenness. And he extends an invitation. Hey, guys, 
you can be at peace. The other thing I want you to see here, and it's really important, I don't think that the resurrection of Jesus and him showing his wounds was just simply um, to exhibit proof. God doesn't have to prove himself. Okay, now the resurrection is a proof, right? It's proof that God's fulfilled all that he promised. It's proof that Jesus' words have come true. It's proof that God has power over sin and death. It is a proof, but God doesn't have to prove himself. So we need to think about that for a minute. I was thinking about this this week, how, like how vulnerable it is that God shows up with his wounds exposed because that's what just happened that doesn't fit the mold of how we typically picture superheroes right we want our superheroes to show up with everything together hair looks good and if it's wonder woman her makeup looks good and she could tell she did her pilates today and right and if they get dirty saving somebody in the very next scene we expect them to be what put back together you think about that. But Jesus shows up, like this is so important, he shows up with his wounds exposed. Think about that, like that's a big deal. He's not just proving that he's physically resurrected from the dead, he's showing them something. And so not only does Jesus show up in the fear and the turmoil and step through these human obstacles to get there, he shows up, wounds exposed. I almost entitled the sermon today, Show up with your wounds exposed. But I thought that would just feel funny if you weren't here to hear the whole thing. But that's a big deal. John and Luke both tell us this is a big deal. Our Savior shows up. Our victorious Son of God, Messiah, resurrected Savior shows up. What did he look like? He showed up with his wounds exposed. I want to think for a minute about, I told you, there's a bridge between this resurrection and the idea that we've been sent now, I want to talk for a minute about this relational part of who God is, and we're going to talk a lot about that today. But the understanding of relationship is you have relationship at different, on different layers, okay? And that's okay. If you're married, you were meant to have a relationship with your spouse that, and, and essentially, in the space that you share with your spouse, nobody else gets to share that space, okay? But there's a layer above that, right, where we begin to interact with our children, and then right above that... Is our friendships, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Then above that, you may have like neighbors and acquaintances, coworkers, and somewhere you'll get out to the people in life you just don't like, <laughs> right? But you have, you have relationship on different layers. Well, it's a pretty simple equation to know. It's really simple to understand where that layer of intimacy comes from. Most of us are fooled into thinking that that level of intimacy is, it comes from the trustworthiness of the other person, okay? It's more than that. It's actually rooted mainly in your willingness to be vulnerable and to show up with your wounds exposed. If you are not showing up with your wounds exposed with your spouse right now, you do not have the intimacy that God has designed marriage to have. I'm just telling you. If you have to go somewhere else to expose your wounds you do not have a biblical marriage in the way that God has created. And there may be tons of reasons for that. You're like, I tried and they hurt me. They used it against me, so I, I locked the door. 
even with your children. If you wanna have that relationship you were meant to have with your children, you need a parent with your wounds exposed. Friendship. You, you won't have friendship on the level you were meant to have friendship unless you show up like Jesus with your wounds exposed. Vulnerability. Now, you think about the concepts of like privacy, uh, anonymity, um, you know, confidentiality. Those are all protective mechanisms. And there are right places in life to use those mechanisms, okay? But if you're using those mechanisms in friendship, you don't have friendship. If you're using those mechanisms in parenting or marriage, you really won't have true parenting relationships or an intimate marriage. So there's a, a right place for that, but, but here's what I want you to hear, listen. Jesus obviously didn't resurrect and appear to Pilate and to the Pharisees. So he didn't just entrust his wounds to just anybody, right? He could have. He could have shown up like Superman. Look, Pilate and I was like, how do you like me now? Right? He could have went to the very next board meeting with the council of Pharisees and, and just walked through their locked door like, hey guys, remember me? But he didn't. He could have. He had the power to do that, but he didn't. Who did he show up for? His friends. Now, but here's the thing. Did he show up for friends who have it together and who are 100% trustworthy? No. They're still struggling. They're still stricken with fear and doubt, questioning. At some level, you have to be willing to take the risk if you're going to have this kind of relationship, the relationship you were meant for. You've got to find a space to show up wounds exposed. I love that Jesus in his resurrection appearances shows up with his wounds exposed. I love it. Now, part two. We're gonna start talking about this idea that we've been sent into the world, okay? So if you're a Christian, you were lost, you have been found, and you are now sent. That's true of every Christian. You were lost, you have been found, and you are now sent. The idea of being sent into the world is not um, reserved for the superhero Christians, the pastors, the elders, the Sunday school teachers, the Mother Teresas. If you're in Christ, you were lost, you have been found, now you've been sent. And yet so many of us struggle to walk in that idea of being sent into the world. Like so many Christians have struggled, if ever, to even share the gospel with somebody else, and, right? And I'm not saying that to shame you or make you feel guilty, but you know that's true. Like you want to be more bold, right? You, you want to share the gospel. You've recognized people that need to hear this life-saving message of Jesus, yet there's some barrier, something keeping you from taking that step and living your life as one who has been sent. And this is where we're going to come back to this idea of relationship. We're going to start in verse 21. So Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. Guys, you can have peace now. And then he follows that up with, as the Father has sent me, even so I am what? I'm sending you. You were lost, you've been found, now you're being sent. The rest of your lives, you will live as one who has been sent. Now, 
I don't think it's any mistake that Jesus pulls all this together into one moment. Fear, turmoil, locked doors, Jesus steps through, wounds exposed, invites them into peace and says, all right, guys, let's go. Like all of that is packaged up together here for us. And I think when we try to pull these things apart, that's where we begin to struggle. Your call to be sent out into the world is not an arbitrary command from a militant leader. And I think sometimes we hear it that way. Go make disciples. Jesus commanded us to do this. So I've got to figure out how to white knuckle my way through all my fear and uncertainties about what it means to be sent. I just got to do it. I just got to do it. Like we don't see that it's not an arbitrary command from a militant leader, but it's this, this relational thing that we have with Christ. Like, you've been invited into this relationship with the God of the universe, and when you step into that relationship with wounds exposed, full vulnerability, Jesus meets you in your fear and your chaos and your turmoil and washes over you with peace, you can't not go tell somebody about that. Okay? You can't not. Like many of us have received uh, something in the mail, an Amazon package, and we unboxed it, we opened it up, and it met or exceeded our expectations, and we were so excited that we discovered this new device for, for us at the house. It's a, uh, it's a potato cutter. Turns potatoes, raw potatoes, into French fry, ready, little geometric shapes. Well, we're going to make some this evening, too. My wife already said, we're making French fries tonight. Yes. Like homemade french fries are amazing. That gadget has met or exceeded our expectations. It's mounted to the wall. Like, yeah, it's, it's a real deal. Okay, so I'm telling you that and I don't mind telling you. I wasn't nervous to tell you that. I don't even care if you don't like french fries because I'm that excited about the, the, the little gadget device, right? And it, almost everybody who comes over to our house and those of you who've been over our house, you're like, oh, I know what you're talking about. I've seen Hallie, she gets excited. <laughs> french fries. And we discovered you don't have to fry them. You can actually bake them in the oven and just, they taste the same. They're not even fried, so good. Now, if I feel that way about this simple metal device, like how much more should I feel that way about Jesus and my relationship with him? And here's the question. Have I really found something good that I'm excited about? Because if I have, I'm just gonna share it, whether you like it or want it or not. I can't not talk about the good things in life. And I think for so many of us, and we're going to talk about this in these next few verses, we don't actually believe the gospel is good news. We approach it like it's bad news. We're fearful about how people are responding. Like, Hope this doesn't make you not like me. It's like we're sharing bad news. So what Jesus does next in verse 22, not only is he saying, hey, guys, have my peace. Go into the world as sent. He says in 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, John takes a whole lot of the gospel narrative and packs it into like a sentence or two. So we've got to pull this apart to understand what John is fully saying here. Okay, so his simple words are receive the Holy Spirit. 
And so what, what's, what's really embedded in this, that receive command is, is the same tense that the go and make disciples command is in, in Matthew 28. And so it's the idea of this future looking command, like, hey guys, prepare, get ready to go. Get ready to receive the Holy Spirit. Now we know that because of the gospel of Luke and because of the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, that the Holy Spirit is yet to come. So this idea of receive is like, guys, get ready to receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 1.8, this is reiterated right before he ascends. Remember he told Mary last week, hey, like you can't latch on to me. You're gonna wanna let go. I'm getting ready to ascend back to the Father. Well, Acts 1.8, which is the very next book in your Bible, this is the words of Jesus in his last resurrection appearance before his disciples. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So even by the time we get to Acts 1.8, it hasn't happened yet. Where does it happen? Acts 2, Pentecost. Okay, that's where the Holy Spirit comes. But he says this in Acts 1.8, right? So he says, hey, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. You will be my sent ones in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. You're going to be sent. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit in power and then you're going to go. Well, what are we going to go do? John puts it quite simply. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, if it's all we had to go off of, it would almost sound like Catholicism where you have a priest who's either imparting or not imparting forgiveness. That Jesus is saying, hey, you guys go out in the world and decide who you want to forgive. Whoever you forgive, my dad's on the hook, he'll forgive them. But if you decide not to forgive them, then sorry, my father in heaven will say, oh, not going to forgive you because my disciples said not to forgive you. Now, on service level, that's kind of what it sounds like. But when we pull it apart and we understand it in context, like I want to also look at what Jesus said in Luke 24 to kind of help us fully understand this. So in Luke 24, 46, this is the parallel, same story told from Luke's perspective. And he said to them or said to them, thus it is written, when the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and repentance and forgiveness of sins, that sounds familiar, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. So the sent ones are going out into the world as witnesses and they're taking with them this message. Verse 49, Luke 24, and behold, I am sending the promise of the father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So it's a clear indication as Jesus breathed on them, what he's saying is, guys, prepare your hearts for the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's using this breathing on them as kind of a living kind of metaphor. Guys, this is what it's going to be like. Receive the Holy Spirit. Prepare your hearts to receive the Holy Spirit. And the idea in the Gospel of John is not that these guys are going to go out and decide who gets to be forgiven. Is that these guys are going to go out into the world as sent ones and carry the message of forgiveness and repentance. And so it's not the pressure of, hey, you get to decide who's going to be forgiven or not. It's the pressure of whoever you share this message with will have the opportunity to be forgiven. But whoever you abstain from sharing this message with will not have the opportunity to be forgiven. Guys, this is really, really important. 
Go into the world as my witnesses. Carry this message of repentance and forgiveness out into the world. Go as my sent ones. And so what I think John is saying is prepare yourselves to receive the Holy Spirit. And if you'll take this message of forgiveness out into the world, my Father will forgive anyone who listens and asks. But guys, if you keep this message to yourself, there won't be any forgiveness. Now, Romans chapter 10 is where we're going to land today. And this is where the Apostle Paul is writing about this idea of living as ones who are sent. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, he asks a series of rhetorical questions meant to have obvious answers. So in Romans 10, Paul says, how will they, meaning the people who John is talking about being forgiven, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? That's a good point. Then he says, and how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? Oh, that's true. And how are they to hear without someone Preaching. Now, this word preaching is not exactly what I'm doing right here. It's part of what I'm doing right here, but it's you taking the message of the gospel out into the world and saying it out loud. That's what it is. That's preaching here. It's proclaiming it. Go share it. Go talk about it. Go tell someone. How are they going to hear without somebody preaching, proclaiming, telling? And how are they to preach unless they are what? sent. So Paul is writing to the church in Rome, reminding them that they are sent. Yes, you were lost and you have been found, but you are now sent. Unless you go, nobody's going to share. Unless you share, nobody can hear. And if they don't hear, they're what? They're not going to believe. What's the point of it all? That they would hear this message of repentance and forgiveness of sins. Now here's where we're going to land today. I said earlier that I think for some of us, we have a correct theological view of God, but we don't have a correct emotional view of God. And this is what I meant by that. We understand the message is one of forgiveness and repentance. But sometimes I think when we think about somebody hearing that message, it feels like bad news. And one of the reasons why I think it feels like bad news is because we have an incorrect view of God the Father. And so we view God theologically as one who forgives sins, right? First John 1, if you'll confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. That's a true theological statement. But what is God's heart doing behind that promise to forgive and cleanse? Right? And so we view God as this reluctant principal at school. And if you'll come in to his office in fear and trembling and just, just sincerely apologize, he'll let you stay in school. He won't send you to detention. He won't send you to alternative school. He'll say what? Okay, you're forgiven. Go back to class. And we fail to see God as a loving father who sits on his porch waiting and longing for the rebellious son to return. And when he sees the rebellious son returning in repentance and to ask for forgiveness, he jumps off the porch and runs to him. Like, yes, God is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. And guess what? He finds pleasure and gladness in meeting you and forgiving your sins. 
He's not this reluctant authority who's like, okay, as long as you promise not to do it again. No, he loves to forgive. Like he welcomes you into his arms. He welcomes you into restored relationship. Do you see God that way? A God who takes gladness in forgiving sins. Gladness in meeting you in your repentance. To scoop you up, not to scold you. Like, that's good news. If God is this stoic principle who's willing to forgive if you're broken enough, that's bad news. That's scary. Why would I go out in the world and share that? So I think part of the reason why we aren't living as those who have been sent is we have not come to the place where we realize that it's actually good news. Way better than a French fry maker, and our French fry maker's awesome. Like, this should be the story that I love to tell. I should be excited. You see, this connection between resurrection and being sent has everything to do with just Jesus that steps into our brokenness. He crosses over your barriers, whatever they are, and just shows up to be with you. And then he invites you to live in peace. And according to his words, we'll just read it one more time. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, guess what? I got some good news. Here's the good news. Even so, I am sending you. You can't give away what you don't have, though. You can't give away what you don't have. And you won't be excited to give away something that you're not excited to receive. I'm going to end with just some questions for us to reflect on and maybe even some discussion for you to have later on in the day. I want you to think about the barriers that you've put up in your personal life. What are your barriers that you have that, that, that you've put up for protection? Okay? Unless you're willing to show up, first of all, wounds exposed with Jesus, you're not going to have a relationship with him. And then he's not calling you to put your life together and then go out into the world and be perfect. He's saying, no, go out into the world with wounds exposed. Like, let me say it this way. Repent, what's the point of repentance and forgiveness? Relationship. That's what's keeping you out of relationship with the Father. That's what's keeping you out of relationship with others. The point of forgiveness and repentance is not so that you can walk around in the world as a highly moral being. Man, that's lonely. The point of it all is what? That you would be restored in relationship. Where are you throwing up barriers and keeping people away? Where are your locked doors? Right now, if you're in like a season of turmoil, I'm just wondering what steps of vulnerability could you take this week to invite somebody into that? Like you're gonna have to make a choice to trust somebody who doesn't have it all together, who has their own wounds. I want you to think about this too. Who in your life needs to hear this message of forgiveness that brings peace and gladness? And before you make any kind of commitments to go share it with them, I want you to ask yourself, do, am I glad about this? Am I excited? Is this good news to me? Or do I still have a wrong emotional view of God the Father? And so therefore I'm not excited. Well, don't go pretend like you're excited to give it away. They're gonna pick up on that in a minute, Right? And maybe today you just think about your own gladness and excitement about what you have in Jesus 
and then begin thinking about, there's anybody in my life that you want me to go share this with? I'm gonna go share it out of my excitement. I'm gonna go share this out of my joy and my excitement. And then finally, and, and this would just be a last little thing for you to think about, what intentional steps could you take this week? Whether it's just to step into vulnerability with somebody to take that relationship to a new level. Maybe it's your spouse. Maybe you need to go home this evening and this afternoon and say, hey, that whole wounds exposed deal, can we do that right now? I've been sitting on some stuff that hurts that I haven't even shared with you. And so I just wanna, I wanna take a risk. I'm gonna step forward. I mean, we're married for better or for worse, so you gotta listen. <laughs> Let's do this. You know, and, and then maybe out of that, you start thinking about some friendships, maybe some brothers and sisters in Christ, somebody in your community group. You're like, you know what? I need to show up wounds exposed with this person this week. I'm gonna leave you with those thoughts. I'm gonna pray for you and our worship team's gonna come out. Um, our prayer partners will be at the front as always. Uh, honored to pray with you about anything going on. Uh, God's speaking to you in, in a way where maybe today is that day you take that first step of faith in Jesus and like, you're like, I'm not sure how to do that. Grab a prayer partner. Love to, to pray with you. But maybe this is the place where God's saying, hey, I'm ready, to t- I'm ready for you to take this relationship public uh, through baptism. If that's you, let us know. Like we want to, yeah, we love to see you follow through in baptism. That's what baptism is. It's your opportunity to go public with your faith in Jesus in excitement. Go, look, at, this is what God's done. That should be the exciting thing. Maybe God's speaking to you in another way. Please come let us know so we can pray for you and follow up with you. So let's pray together. Um, Father, thank you for, God, just thank you for being the kind of God who has no need to walk in arrogance um, like some kind of fictitious superhero. You are both God of the universe, maker of heaven and earth, and you're a loving father who welcomes us into relationship. You're a loving father who sent his only son to die and resurrect from the grave that we could have this relationship. Father, for those of us who are Christians, thank you for reminding us today that we were once lost, but we have now been found and we are now sent out into the world with this good news of forgiveness and repentance. God, unless we share it, nobody is going to hear it. And if they don't hear it, they're not going to believe. So Father, thank you for reminding us of these things this morning. Now we're praying that your Holy Spirit, this same Holy Spirit, that you told the disciples to be prepared to receive. God, we we wanna receive, we wanna hear, we want to respond to what your Spirit is saying to us and doing in us today. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.